Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Pod's Own Country, the politics podcast from the Yorkshire Post. My name is Caitlin Doherty and I am your Westminster correspondent. Levelling up has been the big phrase in the news lately, as last week saw the unveiling of Michael Gove's flagship levelling up white paper. The phrase has been around for about two, two and a half years now, um, having been coined during the 2019 general election campaign and essentially turning into one of the government's flagship manifesto promises for that year. The general idea is that the government wants to reduce regional inequalities and make sure that all parts of the country have the same opportunities and ability to excel. There have been many people that have been critical of what the government have brought forward on this policy before now because the answer some people would argue would be that there haven't been that many tangible benefits seen so far. A few months ago, at the back end of last year, Michael Gove was appointed the Secretary of State for levelling up and he then took on the responsibility of publishing this report. Not long after, Lisa Nandy, who is the Labour MP for Wigan, was made his shadow and now stands across Mr Gove at the dispatch box when it comes to anything levelling up as well as housing and communities-based policy. This week, we spoke to Lisa Nandy about what she thinks about the levelling up white paper and her journey into politics so far. She came to the Commons first in 2010, so it's certainly been a little bit of an exciting time since she arrived. I hope you enjoy listening, and I'm sure we will be speaking to you again soon. Thanks. Lisa and Andy, good morning. How are you? I'm all right. I've been swimming this morning, so I'm pretty cheerful. It's, it's barely 10 o'clock. It's impressive that you've managed to fit that in and get to get to the office. Yeah. You still look like you've been here ages. It's pretty unusual, I have to admit. <laughs> you are the Shadow Levelling Up Secretary as well as um, Housing and Communities for Labour. Levelling Up was added into that brief fairly recently, and in the grand scheme of the political timeline, it is a fairly new term to everybody what does having this job mean to you it's a bit like coming home really I've been on this tour around the world as Labour Shadow Foreign Secretary for the last couple of years metaphorically not literally so I literally <laughs> didn't get to go anywhere during the pandemic but I've um, you know I've, I've been able to see the sort of global side of things and how that that isn't working for people locally in places like Batley and and Wigan um, and Barnsley, and I'm now back home where I started talking about towns, regions across this country that within living memory once powered the world and could do again if they had a government that matched the level of ambition. So it's a it's a lovely place to have landed, but there is an awful lot to do. And I'm acutely aware that although this agenda is now at the centre of the political debate and will be the key back and ground for the next general election, which is good from my point of view. We've got, you know, for me, it's personal, We've got skin in the game. It's my town, it's my family, it's our future that is at stake. Um, I'm also aware that we've heard a lot of this stuff before and people have been made big promises that haven't been delivered and we've really got to start delivering. It's interesting that you say you know, it feels personal to you. It's it's skin in the game. There are 650 MPs. I think it's fair to say a decent chunk of them are not from London and the South East. You know, there are quite a lot of Southern MPs, but plenty of them are from elsewhere in the country. 
Why do you think it's taken until now for this issue to sort of circle back and come to the fore? And how are these figures pushing it in, in the way that they are? I think a few things. Firstly, that there are a lot of MPs, but there are not as many who live outside of London in the southeast as you might think. This place is not set up to support people to be able to commute and have family life and to spend time in their constituencies and with their families. You know, we don't have electronic voting. We've, we did have briefly during the pandemic, but Jacob Rees-Mogg got rid of it. We have these irregular hours. We don't know when votes will come. We're often held here for days and then find out there's not going to be any debate or any votes on issues that we've travelled down for. So, you know, a lot of MPs have made decisions to base themselves here in London, and I think that has been a problem for some time. When you turn on the telly on a Sunday morning and you see London-based politicians sitting in a London studio talking to London-based journalists, telling us it's a national conversation, it isn't. I think that has been a problem. You know, in the same way as the economy is very centralised, politics is very centralised. But there's there's a broader problem as well, which is yesterday Michael Gove was talking about the trickle-down economics and how that has had its day. And I couldn't agree with him more. I think most of us worked that out during the financial crash or perhaps even earlier, the electorate got there first, I think, and around 2005, people started telling us in fairly large numbers that the trickle-down economics just hadn't working worked for a lot of people. But actually, there's another problem, and it's trickle-out economics. For years and years, we've had this settlement where you pile investment into the major cities and you hope that the benefits will trickle out to surrounding towns. It just hasn't delivered for a lot of people. I feel it very much because I live in Wigan, my little boy was born there and has been brought up there. I don't want him to have to get out to get on like a lot of young people. And the the one region where that is felt most acutely is Yorkshire because of the sheer number of small towns across Yorkshire. Yorkshire's been far harder hit by the ageing population trends than any other region in England, which is why it's so striking that it was a Yorkshire MP, the Chancellor, who basically put took the axe to the levelling up agenda a couple of weeks ago. You know, he's he's actually at the centre of what is happening to a lot of people and their lived experience. He'll see in his own constituency in places like North Allerton, he'll see the pubs going, the post offices going, young people having to leave and not being able to come back. He'll see the bus networks dis- disappearing and yet no democratic control of the buses, no tax raising powers, no ability to lever in investment to get good jobs back into those places. It beggars belief, really. There was quite an interesting point you made there about Westminster not being set up for MPs to spend as much time in their constituencies as they may like. Two questions, really, from that. What do you think can be done to have that change and how would that benefit you? And then secondly, what sort of consequent changes do you think would come from that further down the line, do you, in mean in the context of leveling up, you, you give the impression there that maybe maybe MPs and politics generally are too focused on London and the South East, which has been a criticism that's been around for quite a long time. I mean, there's a lot you could do in this place. You could do it tomorrow. In fact, we did do it. We did it during the pandemic, setting up electronic voting, having order papers so you knew what was coming and when. It's absolute madness that you have a system where 650 people are pulled into one old palace and made to march round in circles for seven or eight hours a day, not knowing when that vote is going to come. I and mean, when you think about it, try and explain it. 
as I have to foreign visitors over the last couple of years, people can't quite believe what they're hearing. They think you must be joking. But actually, there's a bigger issue here, which is about moving the centre of political gravity. People who take decisions should have skin in the game. They should be rooted in their communities. And the reason for that is because they know the assets and potential in their own communities. And whereas, in my experience over the last decade, Whitehall and Westminster tend to see problems communities see potential so when you go to Grimsby and you talk to the East Marsh United group they know the potential in their own community Grimsby is a great example of where the the regional development agency that was rooted in the community knew that the great asset that they had was wind and started to invest in it several years ago so that now you know decade later Keir Starmer and I can go and meet young apprentices who are powering the world from the Grimsby docks Mm. Why shouldn't every community have the right to that sort of future? We could do it, but only if we move the centre of political gravity in the UK. Speaking of um, local assets, one thing that you said, I think it was last week, that really interested me was about Berry Football Club and your stepdad and the connections that your family had there. You have a little bit of political background in, in your family. So how do you think you ended up here but then going forward what do you think is important to people now and your family particularly I mean Berry Football Club's been in the news quite a lot over the last few years. Yeah so I come from I come from a a fairly political family but you couldn't really put us in a a very kind of box certainly not one that makes sense Christmas dinners have always been interested (laughs) at our house so my dad is um he came to this country in the 50s from India and he was an English literature lecturer Uh, came to Leicester University. Um, He's a Marxist, uh, still a Marxist, um, still alive and living in Nottingham. Um, My mum is Labour. Uh, My granddad was a Liberal, um, was a Liberal MP, um, briefly after the war and very involved in the sort of fight against fascism. And we're sort of, we're a fairly diverse bunch, really, in lots of ways, spanning sort of Marxism to liberalism uh, and, and much more besides. And also I grew up in Manchester in a, a really political time. It was the 1980s. I was really struck when I got elected here in 2010. Lots of MPs had gone because of the expenses scandal. And so there were huge, huge numbers, hundreds of new MPs on all sides of the house. And nearly every MP of my age and my generation talked about Thatcher being a major influence on them, on their side for good and on our side for bad. But, you know, for me, I grew up in a time when single mums were being vilified and I was living in a I've got two parents two loving parents but I was growing up in a one lone parent household and so you know we were very much a target of that from the government I grew up at a time when people were losing their jobs when all of the surrounding towns were seeing industry ripped out of them lack of investment in public services which we saw as kids as kind of you know the school roofs collapsing and buckets in the corridors and not enough textbooks to go around what you felt it as really was a government that was at war with its own people and it really made me quite passionate about politics and the power of politics to make change but it was only when I went to work for Centrepoint the youth homelessness charity Mm -hmm. that I started to see that the state doesn't have the answers people do and working with those amazing young people who were more ambitious for themselves their lives their futures than any of us despite everything they'd been through, it made me realise that the job of politics is to take a situation where the odds are stacked against them and level the playing field 
put the support in so that they can go on to live as big, rich, large lives as they deserve to. And that, for me, is where the politics of devolution comes from. It's not just about moving decision-making from one group of men in the Whitehall to another group of men in the Town Hall, and to be honest, it is always men. It's about getting that power back into the hands of people who are already making change in their own communities, who know best what to do and how to do it, but need some help and support from government, a government that backs them and has the same level of ambition for their communities as they do, whether that's at local level, regional level or national level. You know, a good example of that is in my own town where the council, who I've been critical of at times, you know, I don't, it's a Labour council, but I don't represent the council, I represent the people to the council. During the austerity years in 2008, they realised that there was going to be cuts coming and they got on the front foot and they asked the people to make decisions about what we protected. So we were going to close most of the libraries and we kept them all open because people wanted us to. We were going to cut bin collections, but we didn't because people said it's going to be a problem, particularly in areas where you had lots of flats. So we protected the things that mattered to people. They got the right to make the decision because it's their community. But in return, the council asked for some help. And because of that, now, if you go out on a Saturday in Wigan, you'll see people mowing the grass verges themselves with the lawnmowers because the council's had to cut back on some of those services. We've got a rise in fostering and adoption and people coming forward to do that. We've hit our recycling targets for the first time ever. So we get a financial boost. It's been the most amazing thing because just like in the miners' strike, when we had to enlist the help of the community to protect us from our own government, We've done it again mm. through these tough Tory years. That scheme and setup that you mentioned there is really interesting. I've, I've not heard of that before, but it's quite clear that it involved really high levels of community engagement. You know, the council spoke to people, the people said what they wanted, the council then considered whether whether it was possible. When power is devolved, whether it's through to, um, you know, national assemblies or whether it's um, devolved regions like we've got in Yorkshire, do you think it requires more engagement from the public? You know, they have to vote more times, they have more different bodies that they have to pay attention to. And do you think that's something that's really achievable? One thing we hear about in politics is people getting tired, people not wanting to vote, people getting, people feeling like whatever they say is not going to be taken into account. Is that an issue? It's a huge issue. There are two things that are blocking change in this country. One is the grip that a small group of ministers have on decision-making, sitting in Whitehall across the whole of the United Kingdom, not just England, but the whole of the UK. And you saw it playing out in real time last week when the Leveling Up White Paper was launched. You know, Michael Gove playing all the right tunes, his latest reincarnated version is as a socialist who has come to save the north of England. And that's great. If it, that's what he wants to, to, to be in this in this chapter, that's... That's great. Unfortunately, the Chancellor doesn't agree with him. And there seems to be zero political backing from across government departments. So while he's talking about devolving power, you've got a transport department pulling powers back into the centre when the integrated rail plan was axed. Lots of the national media coverage was around the cuts to the service and the cuts to funding. It was only papers like the Yorkshire Post and the Manchester Evening News that realised that the bigger problem was that they'd also sucked up the powers back into the centre. So they'd taken powers away from Transport for the North and pulled them back to, to 
to to Whitehall. Not saying transport for the north is perfect, but you know this is the wrong direction of travel. And the, the Treasury blocking the money, blocking the power, blocking any meaningful change. So that's the first problem. But the second problem is that people will only get involved if it's worth their time, if it's going to amount to meaningful change. And the, the environmentalist George Monbiot wrote a piece recently in Oxford, where I think he lives, about a, a road that is being built and a consultation exercise, which was frankly insulting, and he said, you know, by the time they get round to asking us what we think, all that will be left to decide is the colour of the road signs. Now, I recognise that from my perch in Wigan. And I think lots of people across the Yorkshire region would recognise that as well. We're not asked about the major decisions. We're asked about how to often set it right when people have made those decisions and got it wrong. Mm-hmm. And then you find communities trying to unravel it. And for all the talking that white paper about devolving power I think that's a problem that's getting worse so we had the regional development agencies replaced by local enterprise partnerships regional development agencies they had charities they had uh, community organizations as well as businesses and elected politicians around the table making decisions from the outset now we're consulted later when those decisions have already been made and handed down to us got to build proper accountability into the system and I don't care whether it's at local level or regional level or national level one is not better than the other if it's not accountable and responsive to the people and how do you think those changes need to be made next obviously we've heard a lot about the leveling up white paper but if you were in government what would be the first policy or the first set of policies that you'd be looking to introduce we've got to get good jobs back into towns that have lost them there are there's been a huge focus for 40 years on investment in cities mm-hmm. uh, it's meant that young people often will leave to go to university in a city you know leeds sheffield york some of the best universities in the country but when they look back they find too often that there's nothing to return to and it's left us with a settlement where lots of people are growing older hundreds of miles from children and grandchildren and the spending power that comes with those good jobs has gone And you can see the scars on the high street and in the cancelled bus networks and in the lost pubs and post offices and banks. These are the things that make the social fabric of a place. And it's been ripped away from people. It's no surprise to me that it was Joe Cox, a friend of mine, who set up the Loneliness Commission because Batley and Sven is a collection of small towns where that has been exactly the picture for far too many people. And it's left us with a crisis of loneliness and all the other impacts that 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 has we can turn that around if we have a government that backs its own people so first thing we would do is Rachel Reeves announced next Labour government will put 28 billion a year every year during the life of the next parliament into what she calls the climate investment that means good jobs in our coastal and industrial towns again you know energy jobs that they used to have but the you know young people who can power us through the next century through battery technology and the gigafactories that make them to wind energy like the sort of thing that we've seen develop in Grimsby just like their parents and grandparents powered us through the last through work in the the mills the factories the mines so get those good jobs back in then give local areas the power to make that work one obvious example an absolute no-brainer example is democratic control of the bus services I cannot stand a settlement where I, as a resident of Greater Manchester, am allowed to have leaders who have control over our bus services, who can connect them up 
from small towns to cities and to other towns as well so that our young people can take up apprenticeships so that people can get home on time to read their kids a bedtime story so grandparents can see their grandchildren and yet large swathes of the country including many many people in Yorkshire are denied that right because somebody sitting in Whitehall a Yorkshire MP of all people sitting in Whitehall has decided that they shouldn't have the right to determine their own affairs mm-hmm. and bus services transport Rail and digital connectivity are absolutely essential components of making a thriving economy work. Michael Gove talked last week about irrigating the soil so that the economy can thrive. Well, that means buses and trains, it means uh, digital connectivity, and it means investing in the skills of our young people. Mm-hmm. And that's the skills, the skills agenda is the big missing plank of what this government is offering you know they talk about moving jobs to Darlington and Leeds and that's fine and good but what about the young people who can't get those jobs we should have far higher ambitions for our young people got to invest in that generation so that they can get through to the next you know one of the things that we've long said is bring back the education maintenance allowance because you have young people who are bright and ambitious who get stuck at 16 because their families don't have the incomes to get them through that critical 16 to 18 period mm-hmm. um, and get the skills and the qualifications that they need. All of this could change if you put the power back into the hands of local people because you know, Newcastle is a good example of this, where they kept the education maintenance allowance when the government axed it. They brought in a citywide version themselves mm-hmm. and they did it because they knew it was needed and they wanted to back their own young people to succeed. Perhaps the biggest question tying all of this together for the moment and I'm sure that some people would argue that by this point it's a little bit of a cliche but for yourself and for other Labour MPs across the country and particularly uh, across the northern areas and Midlands it's all well and good to having these ideas and having these schemes that you want to either introduce or bring back but Labour majorities are really at risk at the moment in a number of... You don't have to tell me. (laughs) They're shrinking, they're shrinking, they're shrinking. Do you have the faith that you're not only going to be able to keep on side the people that have been continuing to vote for you, but win back all of the people who would now class themselves as swing voters, or even people who might have voted Conservative two or three elections in a row by now, to bring Labour into government and to make these changes that you think are needed? So first of all, that those votes are not do not belong to Labour. They're, they're something we have to earn and we have to fight for, and I'm under no illusions about how hard we're going to have to fight for them, not just to win back people that we lost, but also to convince people um, who kept the faith with us and who gave us a chance in the last few years that we have not just an ambition to match theirs and a plan to achieve it, but also that they can trust us to deliver. And that has been a problem for Labour for at least the 12 years that I've been in Parliament, possibly longer. And so I'm under no illusion about the scale of that challenge. But I said in 2019, on the night of the election, when I held my seat in Wigan, just, (laughs) but we watched the Labour base collapsing in every nation and region across this country... I've heard you and I've seen it and I will make it my mission to bring Labour home to you. And for me, this is about Labour once again standing up for people in places that have been written out of our national story by all politicians of all parties for far too long. 
know, places like Wigan, Grimsby, Barnsley used to power this country. We used to be at the centre of our national story. We had a contribution to make. It was understood and it was recognised, not always in terms of pay and conditions, certainly not, but it was recognised and it was understood. We still have that contribution to make and we could make it again. But that means I have to win back. Kira and I and Rachel have to win back the trust of the people that we've lost. And that is why you won't see me in here very often over the next couple of years. And I couldn't be more delighted to have been given a job that allows me to go back out into the country because that battle will only be won in those places. Mm-hmm. But my message to people who who did lose faith in us is that we believe in our communities we live it, I live it every single day. I've watched the high streets boarded up. I've watched the, you know, my football club almost disappear. You know, I've watched my home football club in Bury collapse. I've seen the impact that this has right across communities and I've raged for some time about how we've been written off. I've also heard the big promises that have been made by politicians of all parties and I'm determined that we're going to deliver and that things are going to change. In the end, they have to change. People have spoken. They've said that this settlement isn't working and they won't put up with it any longer. But that means a complete shift of mindset in Westminster and Whitehall. And I'm determined that that's what we're going to bring. Mm-hmm. Places like Rother Valley, Penniston and Stocksbridge, Morning Outward, not all necessarily uh, very conservative in uh, 2019 for the first time, but have over the last few years shifted from being Labour seats to Conservative seats. You've already given a bit of a message there, but what do you have to say to people in seats like that if there were a general election tomorrow? Why should they be voting for you? Because we'll tilt power back in favour of the people and the the balance of power back in favour of the people who built this country, not just in the major cities, but in all of those towns across Britain whose communities deserve a better future. I went to Rotherham a few years ago with Jill Furness to see the advanced manufacturing there. Towns across this country deserve those good jobs and could have those good jobs. The business community stands ready to invest, but it needs the government to do its bit. It needs investment in transport, investment in digital, investment in skills. Uh, Nobody is asking for the moon. All we're asking for is our fair share of investment that we've been denied for too long. Too often when you listen to this government, you think it sounds like they're doing us a favour by handing us a small refund on the money that they've taken from us. But this is our money, not theirs. And we demand our fair share back in order that we can build the communities that we know that we can be. That's the difference between us and the Tories. It's that we know that you will only build this country from the foundations up that power has to move much closer to home. You know, the last time I heard this, actually, was I was thinking about this last night. David Cameron wrote a piece in 2010, and I was trying to remember because I was fairly sure it was for the Yorkshire Post, and it was. In 2010, David Cameron wrote a piece that said, this country has been far too regionally imbalanced for far too long, and we need to tilt it back in favour of people in places like Leeds and Bradford and across Yorkshire. He talks about young people not having to get out to get on And he made big promises about the economic power that will be devolved, about the political power that will be devolved, and about um, getting investment back into places so that banks had to lend to local businesses to completely change the settlement. 
virtually none of that has materialised in the last 12 years. And now here we have again a, a, a Secretary of State who's making those big promises, uh, but is not backed by the key people in government, particularly the Chancellor, and can't deliver them. You listen to Keir Starmer, you listen to Rachel Reeves, and you listen to me, and you will hear one story, and that is about putting power back into people's hands. You know, our Shadow Chancellor represents Leeds. She gets it, she feels it. It's part of her bones like it is mine. And we are going to be the team that will deliver that back for people who've lost a lot in recent years and deserve far better. Thanks, Nanny. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.